you can take your seats. Uh, I just want to introduce our, our speaker this morning. Bruce is someone I have uh, great affection for because uh, he is uh, someone who took me jet ski riding and yet was uh, gracious enough not to throw me off the back. Um, and so I have a great deal of affection in my heart for Pastor Bruce. I had, mind you, we, were, we did hit 110 k's an hour at one point. Um, and my cheeks, especially against the wind, it's, it's very fast. But that's not my only uh, source of affection for Bruce. Bruce, <laughs> that was only yesterday. I mean, um, but Bruce and Julie have been a great support to Vicky and I and our church and this church here at C3 Norwood for 18 odd years um, and ha have uh, poured an enormous amount of energy and love and effort into both Vicky and I, uh, for which we thank you, and also into the health of this church. Uh, they have a heart for all of the churches that they, they oversee, um, but I have this secret uh, sort of feeling that they have a, a greater heart for this one than any of the others. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, Bruce isn't going to disabuse me of that uh, idea at all. But I know that he has a heart for building people, uh, for building uh, C3 churches around the globe and not just in Australia. Um, and so he comes with a message from the heart that is going to inspire us and encourage us. So I ask you to welcome with me Pastor Bruce Williams. Thank you. Too kind. Very kind words. Thank you. You may be seated. Julie's gone all coy on me this morning. Haven't got a mic. I know you talked. I'm married to Julie. She's my lovely wife. We're coming up to our 36th wedding anniversary in a couple of weeks' time. and We've got uh, great kids and um, three children born into our family and three that have married into our family. And we've got grandchildren increasingly. And uh, that's a good thing. We're pretty happy about that. And uh, we're loving life. Uh, we live up in Harndorf. And C3 Church Adelaide Hills is in Harndorf. And... Uh, what else can I say? Great church. We love our church. But as Chris said, uh, we were appointed state directors and overseers by C3 Australia uh, in, well, I'm not sure how long ago, 2002, I think, so quite some time ago, uh, which at the time was like, why would you ask us to do that? Because we don't know what we're doing anyway. Um, but we found, as happens when God calls you to do something, and God can call you to do something through a local church or through a movement of churches, people in authority in the kingdom can talk on behalf of God and we found over the years that he's equipped us and enabled us and most of all he's grown us, we've grown into the role and uh, we love uh, visiting our C3 churches and other churches around the world and uh, just doing what we can to impart something into the life of that church that we know will be uh, lasting. Very important phrase in our church is next generations and uh, so we love to see the next generations uh, being raised up into leadership, young musicians taking a hold of worship and taking us old baby boomers where we used to think was pretty cool. Um, as in, yeah, you hear my heart anyway. And uh, I just love our worship. Our movement has some interesting songs in it at the moment. They're quite a quite different feel to some of the um, scripture and song and stuff we used to sing when we were in our 20s, thank goodness. 
And so I just love the journey of keeping going. I really don't want to get stuck anywhere. And uh, I'm 57 years of age. I've got no intention of retiring. Can't afford to, mainly. Um, but that, that's another story. But I really don't want to. I don't even want to talk that language. I, I think that uh, I'm called to keep serving God to the last breath. Whether I'm 65, 95 or 110, I'm not sure I'll get that far. But anyway, um, I just really want to encourage you this morning that God's got a plan for your life. He's got a dream for your life. And uh, I want to just show you a little video clip first up that we're going to watch and then I'm going to talk around that and some other things. So let's just watch this. So even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama with its vicious racist, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification, one day right there in Alabama little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. dream that one day every valley shall be exalted and every hill and mountain shall be made low the rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together this is our hope this is the faith that I go back to the south with with this faith we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. This will be the day 
This will be the day when all of God's children will be able to sing with new meaning, my country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. And so let freedom ring. From the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire, let freedom ring. From the mighty mountains of New York, let freedom ring. From the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania, let freedom ring. From the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado, let freedom ring. From the curvaceous slopes of California, but not only that, let freedom ring. From Stone Mountain of Georgia, let freedom ring. From Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring, and when this happens, and when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Wow. I don't know about you, but uh, that speech kind of, every time I hear it, puts tingles down my back. What a phenomenal uh, moment in history when, when one man, Martin Luther King, uh, gets the opportunity to speak in, hun in front of hundreds of thousands of people. Anyone here been to see the movie Selma? Um, it's a great, I recommend you go to see that movie. It's uh, sort of pre that moment when uh, the black rights movement in America were agitating under Martin Luther King's guidance to have uh, racism stamped out of that country. And so he's up there saying, I have a dream. I want to say to you this morning that some dreams, in fact, probably the dreams that God has for your life come at a huge price. I've become really uh, I guess convicted over the last little bit thinking about vision and uh, dreams for the month of February in our church. Uh, I know we flipped over into March but I thought this, this line of thinking is really helpful and I think it needs to be said. I have become convicted of this sense that um, the Christian church in the 20th, 20th century, 21st century, Pentecostal churches particularly, we, we love the idea of um, and the theology of prosperity. In other words, we give our lives to God, we tithe, we seek God, He's going to bless us. And that is absolutely true. God loves us. He's got so much in store for us. But I hate the fact that that, that line of thinking can be sitting in our thinking, not balanced against something else. And everything in life is balanced. Everything that I've come across in life has got to have a point of balance and it can become unbalanced. To the point where we start to say things like this, if I live my life right, if I do the right thing and God's favours on my life, then nothing will ever happen to me that's bad. And then when something does go wrong and it hits the fan, we've got a theological problem 
because we've based, we've, we've based our closeness to God, we've based our sense of worth to God in the fact that he's protecting us from trouble. And when trouble strikes, we've got this, in, uh, I'd say, insufficiently deep theological view of God to go and handle it. So we end up crash and burn because we've picked up one half of the picture and not the other. And so I want to talk to you this morning about a dream. Martin Luther King made that speech in 1963, I think, April the 28th or something it was, I think. Um, and the movie Selma is a little before that where they, uh, a whole bunch of people from the town of Selma marched towards Montgomery, which was the capital of the, uh, that particular state, which escapes me as I'm talking to you right now. Um, Martin Luther King's making that speech mindful that there had been young black guys beaten to a pulp, shot to death in cafes. People were being harangued and abused and tortured in the names of white supremacy in that part of America at that time. His dream cost people their lives. It's like, whoa, okay, well that's a little sobering. His dream cost him in five years later, he was assassinated. He was shot to death in his hotel, in, uh, I think in Washington. Five years later, I have a dream. It's like I have people come up to me in church. Like, God's given me a dream. I'm going to go and do this for God. And part of my heart is because they're enthusiastic and they want to go and do it. And I say, feel like saying, if God's spoken to you, I can guarantee his dream's going to cost you your life. It's got to cost you your life because the Bible says that every day. Pick up your cross daily. What's that mean? Die to self and live for me. And I find it really easy to live for me and die to him. <laughs> I find it really easy to be still thinking about Bruce, what I want, what, I, what am I going to do. What, what's, it, it's such a uh, challenge. But I've got good news for you. Just because I have moments where I reverse the roles of who's in charge of my life, I am a believer. I've put my trust in Jesus Christ. So I'm righteous in God's eyes. And I say this very carefully, no matter what. No matter what. So I want to read with you. If you've, um, we've got the scriptures coming up. But we're in Genesis chapter 28. You know what um, I love about this story? This is, I'm going to just give you a little bit of my paraphrased version of this. But we need to read this part from the scripture so I don't um, paraphrase this bit because that's not going to be helpful. We're in Genesis chapter 28 and we're starting at verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. Back in uh, October last year, Julie and I were blessed enough to be in Beersheba in the country of Israel. And I've got to tell you, he would have had no trouble finding a rock. <laughs> there's plenty of stones there. Man, there's more stones than I've ever seen. Even in Simpson's stony desert in Australia, Israel's got a heads up on that. I tell you, it's unbelievably barren place. Parts of it that we went to looked like a lunar landscape from what I've seen pictures of the moon. Anyway, so he goes on. He's down uh, having a sleep. I don't know why would you put your head on a rock. I've got a new pillow at home. It's a sort of memory foam pillow. And it's like, that's not even comfortable yet. I've had it for a week or two and I'm still, is that right? Imagine sleeping on a rock. Anyway, however, he must have slept because uh, he had a dream. And we just saw a, st a stairway resting on the earth and with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. 
There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the west and to the east, the north and south. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and through your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I'll bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised. And uh, you might have read this scripture before and be aware he gets up and says, how awesome this place is, under the gate of heaven. And we've sung songs in C3 about it over the years. I want to talk to you about Jacob. 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 You know what? Why was he in that place? Why was he at a place he calls Bethel? What was he doing there? Well, I'll tell you. I'm going to tell you the story. Jacob has a twin brother called Esau. Esau was born before Jacob, and Jacob's the younger brother. Through nothing short of just being blunt, being a deceiving, lying little scumbag, he deceived his brother out of his birthright. And then, with the complicity of his mum, who loves their mum? My mum's not with us anymore, but mum's, mum's going to bat for the kids, right? Well, this mum takes favouritism of Jacob over Esau. Isaac's getting old, and the Bible doesn't use the terminology, but he had cataracts. He says his eyes were going dim, he couldn't see. And it becomes clear to Rebecca, that's his wife and the mother of Esau and Jacob, that he's going to bestow the blessing on the oldest child. Esau, in Middle Eastern cultural terms, is the one who will inherit the whole lot. Everybody else in the family lives. So the, the blessing of the family transfers to the oldest son and then it's his responsibility to look after everybody and so the rest of the family effectively works for and lives for him. That's Esau's um, lot in life. That's what he, he was born into. It. Rebecca gets wind of this and says to, um, to Jacob, um, your brother's going out because his father's asked him to, to um, hunt some game. He's going to come back and cook it. He's going to take it to his father and his father's going to bless him. Now hurry, go and get a couple of goats. I'll cook them the way that Isaac likes it because he likes it like spicy and hot and less. So I'll make that um, and you're going to go in there and pretend to be Esau. Hey, what? This is Jacob. God speaking to him down the track from this conversation. I will be with you and watch over you wherever you go. Jacob didn't go, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus. I go to church. I couldn't possibly do that, mum. He says, how are we going to get away with that? Because Esau is as hairy as a donkey and I'm as bare as a baby's backside. Those words aren't in the Bible either. But anyway, you get the drift. So his mother says, we'll sort that out. So she puts goat skin over the top of his hands and goat skin around the back of his neck. She goes and finds Esau's clothes and dresses him in Esau's clothes and sends Jacob into his father with the food, and his father says, who is this coming on presence? Jacob willfully says, it's Esau, your oldest son, lying. His father kind of says, you say it's Esau, but it sounds like Jacob. Are you sure you're Esau? I'm Esau, your oldest son. The second time he lies. Puts the food down. His father says, come here, my son, that I might hug you. 
He thought, just as well, I put the goat skins on. His father comes up and says, oh, yes, my hairy son. Oh, yes. He said the Bible says he leans over and smelled his son's clothes. Ah, the smell of my son Esau. He smells like, there's a little, little poem there about what his son smells like. And so he eats the food and gives the blessing to Jacob, thinking it's Esau. Bible says no sooner had Jacob taken the pots and pans and left the room and Esau had come home, he, he had already been cooking. He walks in to his father and says, Father, I've got the food that you asked for. Here's my... He says, who is that? It's Esau, your oldest. And the Bible says this little phrase, and Isaac trembled violently. He knew he'd been ripped off. He'd been deceived. Someone had lied to him. Jacob... A few weeks later, is hearing this. I am the Lord your God. Your descendants, all peoples on earth. Hang on a minute, God. We got a conspiracy, lies, deceit, problem-filled family, and you're using them? What's going on? I thought you had to have your ears stuck together to be able to serve the Lord. I thought you had to be kind of, well, let's just say semi-perfect. Let's just say you had to be in good shape. You can't be just going on willfully doing the wrong thing and be used by God, can you? Yeah. See, God's plan is going to cost you your life. God's plan is sometimes going to be mixed up in amongst all the dealings of life. You getting ripped off, you being upset, you maybe making a dishonest comment, you gossiping, you be maybe telling a lie or two if that's what you do. It's like... What I'm concerned is that we disqualify ourselves because we don't feel we're good enough sometimes. We go, I've got to wait till I've got that sorted out. I've got to wait. No, just live your life. God's not going to put you on the scrap heap because you're a human being. He's not going to put you on the scrap heap because you're actually not submitted to him yet. He's not going to put your life on the scrap heap. He's got a plan, but it'll cost you your life. He wants you and me to live for him. Absolutely. But I've got good news for you. If you make mistakes, it's not game over. If you're doing the wrong thing, even deliberately, it's not game over. If you're just off track, it's not game over. God's going, it's game on. It's game on. This thing's going to work because I'm sovereign. I'm the sovereign God of heaven and earth. All people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. So anyway, Jacob does the deed. Esau goes... But father, father, you got anything left for me at all? Anything. He says, sorry, son, I gave him the lot. He got the whole download. And so his father just gives him this paltry little blessing and says, look, you're going to be, you're going to be basically a mongrel. It's, a, it's not a really nice verse. Well, you're, you're, you're going to serve your brother. You're going to be... Just read it in the previous chapters to this one, chapter, probably about chapter 27. Of course, Esau's a little ticked. And so he says, my dad's about to cark it. The days of mourning are over. I'm going to kill Jacob. So we've got a brother in a family conspiring to murder. We've got a brother who's in conspiracy with his mother, has ripped off his older brother's birthright. We've got a family in disarray, right? So Rebecca says, and she gets wind of Esau's indignation, which, you know, you'd have to be pretty stupid not to realize there's going to be a problem here. <laughs> Maybe she didn't think that through. But she says to him, to Jacob, you know what? Good idea for you to get, get out of town. So he leaves Beersheba and he hits Bethel, which is his story. And he's on his way up to Haran, which is where Abraham came from. 
Abraham of Ur of the Chaldeans. Some scriptural uh, commentators think that Ur of the Chaldeans is right down the east bottom, uh, sort of northeast corner of present-day Iraq, right down at the mouth of the river Euphrates and that. But a lot of more recent biblical research suggests that the Ur of the Chaldeans is actually probably somewhere in the middle of Syria, current-day Syria, maybe almost up to the Turkish border. And uh, my map says that's about a 500-mile trip, 900 kilometres, like going from here to Wagga Wagga to get there. And he's on his way with camels. A couple of chapters previous that, Rebecca comes from up there. Isaac's servant was sent up there to get Rebecca and bring her home. They're all family members. So he says, his mother, Rebecca, says to Jacob, go up to my brother Laban in uh, Haran and hang out and find yourself a wife up there. Because I don't want you marrying any of these Canaanite women. They're, they're, just, they're not worthy of our bloodline, was basically her, her intent in saying that. So not only that, get away from your brother. He'll cool down. Everything will work out. Just go away for a while. So he goes up there, gets up there with this dream, right? Remember, just say, say this word, deceiver. deceiver. Jacob's a deceiver. His mother's a deceiver. Guess what? It's in the family line. Her brother Laban is a deceiver. So Jacob rocks up. Walks in the door and says, I'm here. And Laban says, welcome. So he's his nephew. Um, and Jacob looks around and sees there's, there's a daughter. Her name's Leah. Scans around another few degrees. And it's, whoa, there she is, Rachel. She is a hot babe. <laughs> he goes straight up in his mind, I'm going to marry that bird. So he says to Laban, what am I going to do to marry your daughter? He says, work for me for seven years. So he works for seven years. The Bible's really mean with this stuff. It just says, so he worked for him for seven years. It's like, that's it. There's nothing in between. So Jacob's getting out of bed, looking after don uh, uh, sheep and goats and whatever else he's doing for seven years. And Laban keeps his way. He says, yes, okay, let's have the, the wedding. Unlike our weddings where we have the ceremony in a church or a garden or wherever and we say vows and we do stuff and then we have a party. Those days is the other way around. They have a big party, lasts for days. They all get drunk and eat heaps of food. And eventually, the couple go off a, to a tent or somewhere to consummate the marriage. That's when they get married. So it says that Jacob, and they partied on. Jacob went to the tent, and he wakes up the next morning, and the Bible just says this beautiful little phrase, and there was Leah. <laughs> Can you imagine waking up alongside the wrong woman? And he's like, what the? And he knows, I've been deceived. I'm married to the wrong one. He's fuming. Comes out of the tent, well, you, you tricked me. And I'm thinking, mate, what goes around comes around. <laughs> right? So he, he says to Laban, well, in, in those days, being married to the wrong wife was a real problem. You couldn't get another one. So he says, what am I going to do to marry that one? Rachel, I wanted her. He says, well, work for another seven years. And so the Bible just says, so he worked for him another seven years. <laughs> and then he got to marry Rachel and you think, well, that's all good. The family's, you know, he's gotten around that deception. Now, it's not easy for us to um, get our head around having two wives. One, one is absolutely sufficient, trust me. Um, <laughs> I love my wife dearly, but I don't want to be thinking about having another one, either concurrently or subsequently. Um, yeah, anyway, I go there. <laughs> Where am I going with this? Can you just say, so you've got to use your imagination now. He's got two wives. One's as fertile as a rabbit, and the other one is as barren as Simpson's Stony Desert. They're living in the same house. One's 
getting pregnant and gleeful about it. The other one is sitting there unable to conceive and heartbroken. Can you imagine how toxic? <laughs> toxic family. Doesn't, does God use toxic families? Amen. Do you have to have all your stuff together? Do you have to be perfect? We've got a family with liars, cheats, deceivers, two wives, one having kids, one not able to have kids, a guy that doesn't know what's going on. His name's Jacob. <laughs> He's just going to bed with his wives and having fun. That's probably, that, that's a good thought. No, don't go there. No. Don't go there. So I'll just see if I can pick up a bit more of the story here. We, where are we up to? So, um, all right. So he's got that deal going on. Eventually he works out, he goes to Laban and look, he's, Laban's getting, and he concedes in chapter 30, I've become really wealthy since you've turned up. Since you've been in our family, my wealth's gone. Whoosh. See, it's the favour of God in the middle of a family that's doing the wrong thing. I can't think, how does that work? But you think about our current time and space, there are people who are leaders in the church. You might have seen some over the course of your lifetime, some of the old ones here, tele-evangelists particularly, like Jimmy Swaggart and others you could mention off, particularly because they were, at that time, the Americans, the only one doing sort of evangelism on television. But some of those guys were as corrupt as this, guy, this lot, as off the track. But they were still seeing people get saved. They were still having miracles in their meetings. They were still seeing things happen. You and I can sit there and go, that's not right. What's going on? God's not got a problem with it. Now, don't mishear me and don't misquote me. I'm not saying God's okay with sin. I'm just saying God's not going to let sin get in the way of his plans. I mean, that's what Jesus came for, right? Sin is not going to get in the way of God's plans. He dealt with it on the cross with Jesus Christ. At this point in time, there's no Jesus and there's plenty of sin and God is still using a family of dysfunctional dropkicks to get his purpose out and about. He can use you in your current state. Much happier if you actually get saved. Much happier if you actually get filled with the Holy Ghost. Much happier if you begin to live a righteous life that is led by the Spirit. Um, that's, that's sort of where he wants us to go. But don't be thinking this morning if you've disconnected from God or you've lost your way that it's game over. Because it's not, it's game on. God wants you to get with, your, with the program. Do what you're called to do. Live the dream. But understand his dream's going to cost you your life. I think I'm saying that enough just to get that's the sort of the main point this morning. So Jacob comes up with a plan. He says, well, look, if, if your wealth's getting a little out of hand, I actually wouldn't mind getting my hands on some of that and going home to my family. So he comes up with this plan. He says, look, give me all the spotted sheep and, and I'm going to take care. So he gets a little scheme that to Laban sounds like a good idea because he's going to get the speckled things are a lot less numerous than the unspeckled goats and sheep. So, but Jacob's got a plan. He's already planned. He's worked out. He's going he's to sort this out. He's going to put some poplar branches in front of them and, and pick the strong ewes and female goats when they turn up to drink. And when they're on heat, he's going to get them made it. And he's going to get, he's going to grow. And it says over the course of time, his flocks just went boom in numbers. He became very wealthy. So it turns out then that Laban's sons, so who be Jacob's cousins, hate his guts. Got cousins that don't like you or cousins you don't like. You're in good company. God can still handle you and your dysfunction. So the brothers get a little bit upset. 
Jacob decides maybe it's time to leave. So rather than just going and saying, hey, Laban, thanks for, for all that, by now we're talking 21 years. Seven years for one daughter, seven years for the next, and the Bible says he was another seven years. 21 years. That's a long time to be working for something and to be... Anyway, Jacob just decides that the best thing we can do is pack up the women and children and all my possessions and they march out of town in the middle of the night. Don't say goodbye. To make matters worse, Rachel, his beloved, beautiful wife, Rachel, she decides, who knows for what reason, she decides she's going to steal, say steal, steal her father's household gods. Household gods. This is up in, as I said, Syria, Turkish area. These guys aren't the chosen people yet. Families have household gods. What are they? Oh, a little alcove in your, in your lounge room with a little trinket, bone, a lump of rock or something, and a little statue of something. I don't know what. You have one there. You, know, you go into some, still into many homes in different cultural contexts today. You'll find little household gods. Well, she steals them. They're valuable. They're important to the family. And she hides them. She takes them with her and they march out of town. Laban gets them the next morning. Where is everybody? And where are my household gods? They've been stolen by Rachel and Jacob who are holding the future of the Israel nation, Jesus Christ and you and me, in their DNA. Let me say that again. They're, those two, being married, having children, which they haven't at this point in time in the story. She's barren. They've got the lineage to Jesus, and the lineage to Jesus leads to you and me sitting here this morning in Christ. It's in the hands of a deceiver and a thief. What the? I don't know about you, but I'm going, what is going on here, Lord? I thought we were supposed to be pretty holy. Praise God for Jesus, because we are holy in God's sight because of Jesus. But this side of, this, of the scripture is kind of like, it messes with my thinking. What I want you to get out of this more than anything is God's got a plan going to cost you your life lay your life down but if you stuff stuff up you're not finished if you're still getting it wrong you've been walking with jesus for 20 years or 30 years or 40 years and you're still tripping over stuff you're still making bad decisions you're still trying to work out how to not just minimize your tax but avoid paying tax you still still got troubles with uh with lustful thought life or you've still got trouble with with greed or lack of self-control and you but i've been a christian i've been filled with the spirit i love god and i'm still making this it's not game over it's game on god wants his plan to work he wants your kids even if you're a dysfunctional parent he wants your kids to get to know him if you've come from a family of abuse and mixed up stuff and there's some terrible terrible stuff that goes on in our world today just as much as it was then but god's plan is not thwarted by that that's not to say God plans these things. Please don't hear that. I'm saying that God sovereignly can move around all of this human stuff and still land on, we got there. We got there. So she steals them. Laban chases them down and says, what are you doing? Why didn't you come and say goodbye so I could hug you and your kids, my grandchildren, and give you a kiss and bless you on your way? I would have sent you gladly. Except you did it in the middle of the night and to boot, somebody stole my household gods and I'm not happy. Who is it? Well, Jacob fortunately knows nothing about it. Rachel's stolen, hasn't told her husband. But she's, a little, she's now a thief. She's now going to reveal her true colours as a deceiver. So she's sitting on her donkey or whatever she's riding on. 
And her father says, have you taken the household gods? Get off, I want to inspect your saddlebags. She says, Dad, I'm sorry, but I got my period, so I can't move and you can't touch me. <laughs> and so he doesn't. And she's still got them. That's low. <laughs> That's very low. Her, she, and Jacob, parents of Joseph, soon in the story. Joseph. Joseph's born into a family where Rachel dies giving birth to his brother Benjamin, little brother, two boys from that wife. She dies giving birth to Benjamin. So Jacob's bringing up the boys, those two boys, without their mother. And he plays favourite to Joseph. Says that in the next few chapters. So we go through a couple of generations. We've got Isaac and Rebekah. Um, she's a deceiver. We've got Jacob and Rachel and Laban. They're all liars and deceivers and rip-offers. And we've got Jacob who hasn't finished being a moron yet. He decides to play favouritism with one son. Eleven other brothers hate his guts. I mean, it's a really happy family. I could go on. You know the story of Joseph? He gets brothers conspire again to have him killed and they think, oh, mate, one of the brothers comes to his senses, maybe that's not a good idea. Maybe we'll just throw him into, into the slave trading industry. So he gets sold as a slave, goes down to Egypt, works for Potiphar, gets accused of raping his wife, which he didn't do, he gets thrown into prison and the Bible the whole way through, this is, jo this is Joseph, the whole, whole way through is it, and the Lord was with Joseph and blessed him. Where did he come from? Completely messed up family. Where did he finish up? bringing his father and his brothers down to Egypt to feed them in the middle of a, the worst famine in that part of the world in decades. God's got a plan for your life. If you're sitting here this morning thinking, oh, but I thought my history might exclude me from it. Don't be thinking that. Thinking your history is not a problem for God. Your family of origin is not a problem for God. Your ongoing battle with temptation and sin is not a problem for God. He loves you. He's desiring that you just lay your life down. He is desiring that you don't do these things that are not godly or worthy of, of the calling. The New Testament's full of that. But we can be transformed, the Bible says in the New Testament, by the renewal of our mind. So even this morning, you, you can be transformed. In other words, you can stop doing the things that are foolish, the things that are dishonest, the things that are deceptive, the things that are stealing. I mean, that comes in all forms. It's just the way we can stuff it up. So, what a storyline. Wow, what a heavy price was paid. I mean, the amount of stuff going on in that family is all part and parcel of, I have a dream. See, Jacob had a dream. And God said, I'm going to do this. Martin Luther King had a dream. It, I got this thought. Once a dream from God owns you. That thought popped in my head during the week. A dream from God actually owns you. You don't own the dream, it owns you. In other words, it becomes, it consumes you, not in a nasty sense, but it becomes what you're about. If it's really of God, it's what you're about. I've got a dream to be a pastor. I didn't ask for the dream. I didn't ask for the baton to be given to me. I just had this sense of God speaking to me and to us. Julie and I got this sense together that God wanted us to give up secular world employment and become full-time ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's like, and that's consumed me. 
I don't mean that in any way, sense or form in a negative. It's become, that's what I do. That's what I am. That's my calling. The, the dream owns me. Which means if God's given me the dream, God owns me. That's a good thought. God's got a hold of my life. And I can therefore take some comfort in knowing that, like Jacob, like other heroes in the Old Testament particularly, like the disciples who deserted Jesus, they all left him. When the chips went down, they left him. High and dry, shafted, don't owe him. Paul mentions throughout the New Testament, if you do a, a, just a word search in your electronic Bible, you'll, if you use the word dessert, not the stuff you eat, but dessert as in, you know, single S dessert, um, or deserted or deserting, you'll find that that word comes up quite. Paul was deserted. People left. People turned away from Jesus because the price was too high. What, what price? The price of the dream. The price to serve God is not about getting more materialistic. I'm sorry, the, the reward for serving God, it's not about getting stuff. It's not about having a, a trouble-free life. It's not about being um, sickness and illness-free. Sometimes people are debilitated by horrendous chronic illness and they seek God again and again and again to get healed. I love a passionate pursuer of God for healing. Every time I go, if someone came to me this morning and said, I am sick with X, Y and Z, would you pray for me? I'd go, absolutely, because I believe God wants us to be healed. But when we're not, what are you going to do? What's your theological framework when you've sought God for years for healing and you don't get it? What are you going to do? You've got a couple of choices you can make. You can go, this trite, oh, it's not God's will for me to be healed. Bunk them. I don't believe that at the moment. I believe it's God's will to heal people, just like it is God's will for everyone to be saved. But it doesn't happen for some reason or other. Maybe there's other things in the picture we don't know about. So I'll always pray for someone who's sick. But I want to tell you, if you have got chronic sickness, disease, maybe you aren't able to have children. Maybe you've got something else wrong with you. Maybe you've got cancer. Maybe you've got some other thing going, mental illness or whatever. God is not going, okay, Brucey Williams, you've got this so I can't use you. He never thinks like that. He thinks like, you've got this and you can still completely serve me. So Jacob wrestled with God. That part of the story. He has this wrestle with God in the middle of nowhere. At the end of the day, the sun comes up and Jacob says to God, he says, bless me. I'm not going to let you go. He's got him in a bear hug. Imagine you haven't got in a bear hug. He's got God, bless me. No, I'm not going to. Bless me. No, I'm not going to. Bless me. All right, I'll bless you. Boom says he dislocated his hip. Ever been on a prayer line at church where you got your hip dislocated? <laughs> yeah, you come out the front, I want to, oh, I want God to touch my life. I just want to feel Jesus this morning. What would happen if he dislocated your hip? <laughs> and you limp through life for the rest of your days aware of that encounter. God touched me at C3 Church Norwood back in 2015 and dislocated my hip. I've never, <laughs> never forgotten the day. Does that mess with your thinking? It messes with mine. But that was Jacob's testimony. Imagine to his grave. See this limp son? See this limp grandson? See this limp children? That was when I had to wrestle with God. We want it to all be beer and skittles. 21st century comfortable Western Christians. Time is kind of short, both for this message, but in reality, I'm absolutely convinced that we've got such a privileged um, chapter of Christendom 
the chapter that you and I are in, my, my three score and ten or whatever, how many years it is, your, your life is the transition from the 20th century to the 21st. That's, what this, that's us. We live in privilege in the Western world. The Christian church has generally been looked upon favourably. Those days are coming to a close. I've got no doubt about that. Things are moving. You and I got to work out, am I going to be the kind of person who knows no matter what, God's with me. Why don't you stand to your feet today? You know, Martin Luther's dream in 1963 is still coming to pass. There are still parts of America, obviously still parts, few parts of the whole world, where racial prejudice and hatred drives everything. But he was up there in that video clip that we saw, pouring his heart out about a dream where things were different. Maybe this morning you've got a burden in your heart that God's put in there for a dream. And for whatever reason, you've kind of let the circumstance of life dilute its validity because things aren't working out. You've still got these problems in your life. That person hasn't. You've maybe been praying for a family member to get saved for 20 or 30 years and nothing's changed. It's still a hard-hearted person. Like, don't give up the dream. Just don't give up the dream. Don't let circumstances dictate whether God's in the mix or not. Trust Him. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. He'll make your path straight. Trust in the Lord. So, what dream's burning in your heart this morning? Are you dreaming to serve God in the house of God? Dreaming to serve God as a business person or as a stay-at-home mum? Or a mum whose career, love juggling career, children, husband, the gamut of life? Phenomenal. Like, wow. Like, wow, that's, that's pretty heavy. Maybe it's your dreams to change the world. Maybe you've got an invention inside of you. Maybe you've got a nation-changing thought in your spirit that God's placed there. All I'm saying is a couple of things. One is, have a dream. Two, understand that God's dream is going to be pricey. It's going to cost you a lot. Number three is, God's dream is not going to be put off if you lose track of what you're doing. And you can come back on board anytime. You know, Jacob didn't sort of have an aha moment when he was telling lies. He didn't have an aha. He doesn't, the Bible doesn't give us any sense that he sorted it out with God. All the Bible tells us is the story of day by day, seven years at a time sometimes, Jacob lived his life. You're living your life. God is weaving his plan for humanity through your life. Like, don't be stuck in 20th century, 21st century changeover, your generation, my generation. Think next generation. Who's going to be standing in the house of God, saints in rows, somewhere in the world, because you and I got a hold of the dream? Three, four, five, 20 generations from now. We were in France, in Reims a number of years ago, visited an old cathedral, the Notre Dame, not the one in Paris, but in Reims. Out the front, there was a countdown clock, counting down to the church's 800th anniversary. 800 years. They put something in my heart, thinking, wouldn't it be awesome to have a C3 church lots of them in Adelaide 800 years from now that's a long term picture that's the kind of dreams that God has 
When he put a dream in Jacob's heart, he saw you. When he put the dream in Jacob's heart, he saw your kids and your kids' kids. And generations to come, he saw them, that dream. All nations on the earth will be blessed through you. How'd that happen? Through a dysfunctional family doing their life, just like you and me. So I want to ask you a couple of questions in closing this morning. I just want to invite you to close your eyes. I want you to think about your dream. If you haven't got one, ask for one. God, I want something placed in my spirit that begins to own me. And I don't mean that in the sense of making you do what you don't want to do. I mean it in the sense of it just motivates and inspires you, gets you out of bed in the morning. You go, that's what I'm doing today. That kind of ownership. Have you disconnected from that? Have you disconnected from that starting point you had at some point with God? Because stuff's happened and you had a theology that I've got to be a really good person for God to keep using me. No, no, you're saved by grace. Your righteousness shines like the stars because of Jesus. Don't let anybody or anything take you and say, you you are no longer good enough. You might have to sort some stuff out. That's a different story. But at the end of the day, God can weave His incredible, perfect plan through your imperfect life. And He loves you. So just as we stand here in His presence for a few moments, I want you just in your own words to God, just begin to pray and ask Him to forgive you for letting go, if you have. Ask Him to empower you like never before, to hang on to the dream. Ask Him to show you more more layers of the dream. What's that look like? I've just helped you go fast forward 800 years by using a few words. But maybe God can show you a generation or two down the track or 10 or 15 years from now. And all of a sudden, the dream's on fire again on the inside. I have a dream. I have a dream. I have a dream. I have a dream. Freedom. Martin Luther King's um, use of words there, really powerful. And they're only words. God's got a dream for you this morning. What are you going to do with it? to say this is an important point as you're thinking about this the dream that God's placed in your heart most likely will not come to pass in your lifetime his dream's going to transcend you and your chapter his dream's more eternal so we live in a results driven world see the numbers. We want to know how much growth we've had. We want to know how much money we've got. We want to know this, that and the other. God's not overly fussed about that. He's looking at the next and the next and the next. So can I just ask you to think about this question and slip your hand up if you want to. If I said, you slip your hand up if you've had a moment with God right now and you've recalibrated your connection to the dream. He's placed in your life. 
just give me a wave and say, yep, I've, I've heard what you're saying this morning, Bruce, and I, I do want to just connect with that differently than I have. Big wave, I want to see you. And hold your hand up, so I want to pray with you guys. I want to add to this group that got their hands raised. If you've actually for the first time thought about God putting a dream in your heart and that you've disqualified yourself from serving God because of one thing or another, today you've gone, you know what? God can actually and will use my life. If that's you, add, add your hand to the list. If you have say, I get that. I want to have a go. God bless you. Awesome. Let me just pray for you if you've got your hands slipped up right now. Father God, I just thank you for my friends here this morning who are hearing, seeing, believing afresh. Pray, Lord, that you would renew their minds. Lord, that you would strengthen them by your spirit to live for you. And that we would, to the best of our ability, live a holy life, a life that's worthy of the calling. That we would put aside childish ways as Paul describes them. And that we'd run with the dream we'd find the dream burning in our hearts and we're going to not let our downfalls, our shortcomings, our stumbling blocks disqualify us ever again. We're going to keep running because you are with us. You are our God and you are faithful when, even when we're faithless, the word says, you're with us. So bless these beautiful friends in Jesus' name. God bless you guys. Just lift your hands down. One last thing before I close and hand back to Pastor Chris. This story of Jacob is Old Testament. As I've mentioned, there's just so much about it that's historical. It's not just a story. Um, the archaeologists and the archaeology that's going on in Israel at the moment is fascinating everybody who's involved with it because more and more stuff is being revealed, excavated, uncovered in that nation every day of the week. Every time they dig up a place, they find a village or a well or a cistern or some artefact in that country. The historians that we engage with through a trip there recently, they are absolutely increasingly gobsmacked at how accurate the biblical story is. It's not metaphor. It's not stories just as examples. It's actually the history of a nation that lived in that part of the world when it says they did. They were there when they said they were there, not 100 years later or 1,000 years. They were there. And the archaeological evidence is becoming compelling. I mean, how cool is that? It's just awesome. You and I are living a life connected to a nation and a group of people that are absolutely hated around the world. How good is that? That's good news, right? the story for another day but whatever that situation looks like to us they are God's chosen people we are children of the promise to Abraham through faith in Jesus Christ so we connect ourselves with eternal life and the eternal purpose of God not because we're born Jew if you're born a Jew and you're a Jewish bloodline here this morning you've got a different deal as a starting point you've got the same place to go to as we have accepting that Jesus Christ is the Son of God the Messiah the one they have been waiting for our Jewish guide said there's only one word separates a Jew from a Christian and we said what's that he said the word again he said we believe the Messiah is coming and you believe the Messiah is coming again that's it 
They haven't got a problem with the Messiah is coming. He's just, we think he's coming again. He's already been. I just missed that one. Um, him, not there's another one. You know what I mean? Okay. Anyway, he's come. He wants to live in your life. He wants to set you free from the power of sin and death. That stuff we're talking about, he sets us free from it. Does that mean we never trip over again? It does not mean that. But it means that it separates that from being a disqualifier for being in the presence of God. And so by faith, we become connected to God and eternal purpose. Jesus has got to get on the inside of your life, not your neighbor's life. God bless them if they feel with the Spirit already. But if you're not, you can be. You can receive Him this morning. The Bible says in John chapter 3, Nicodemus, a teacher, came to Jesus and said, What's got to happen? You're obviously a great teacher. And Jesus said, You've got to be born again. He says, What? Go back in my mother's womb. Don't be ridiculous. And he said, No, no, no. You're born of the flesh. You've got to be born of, of, the, of the Spirit. You've got to be born again. And so this morning, you can become born again. Give your life to God. Say, God, here I am. And don't be thinking, God's going to get some surprises when I open my doors. And you open up your doors, he's going to go, yeah, right, okay, let's clean out the cupboards. It's time for a bit of a clean out. And he comes in, he's not put off by all your stuff. He's just there with a big skip bin called Jesus. What well, we thought, Jesus is the skip bin of life. Man, he took the lot. He's got his name on it. He says, just give it to me, I'll take the lot. And you are cleaned out. If you've never had a moment with God where you've invited him to look at all your stuff, I mean all your stuff, your history, the dirty laundry, grubby thoughts. Maybe you've done some stuff that's in the category of deception, lying, stealing, cheating, all those stuff, all that stuff. Well, he, he just comes and cleans that out when you open the door. He comes in and sets up camp inside your life and helps you to live for him dream becomes part of who you are if you want to pray a prayer that invites Jesus to come into your life as you open the door of it to him this morning can you give me a wave and say I want to give my heart to him he sounds like the real deal to me sounds like in spite of myself God still loves me amen in spite of myself God still will receive me amen in spite of whatever I've done you mean God can cleanse me set me free amen he can if you want to receive a love from the God who functions like that, give me a wave and say, that's me. I want to connect with a God like that. Maybe you have done that in the past, but you shut the door to your heart and said, oh, you can't come. I've made a few mistakes, God, and I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to deal with it. It's too painful. And he's saying to you this morning, but you know what my love tasted like. You know what freedom is. What's going on? Why don't you just open the door again? Let me in. We'll clean out the cupboards again and we'll start afresh. Called recommitment. Recommit your life to me. Come on, we can have to go with this. So he's inviting you. If you've stepped away from him and you know you've closed your heart off to him, open it up again this morning. If that's you, give me a wave. Don't be embarrassed. We've all had bad seasons in life where we've lost our way. Best thing you could do is come back to him anyone at all thank you Lord well Father bless this beautiful church this morning Father we pray for uh, Pastor Chris and Vicky right now why don't you guys just come out here Chris and Vicky before we hand the microphone back over and Julie and I would love to pray with you church just want you to reach your hands out to your awesome pastors we have tracked with these guys for at least 18 years 
got plenty of conversations under the belt and a few glasses of red wine to boot, but that's all good. And some other some other things. Some some of us. Well, let's just say Chris and I have and Julie and Vicky drink water. <laughs> They're the holy ones. Yeah. But we're biblical water and wine, see? Just messing with you. Why don't you just uh, extend your hands are symbolic of your prayer, right? There's no magic hocus pocus going on here. We put our hands out as a statement of faith that we're believing God's going to touch these guys. We're going to lay hands on them and you're supporting that. So Father, we do pray right now that the anointing of the Spirit of God would come afresh on these guys. That the next chapter of C3 Church, Norwood, even now, Lord, would be opening up to Chris and Vicky. Lord, what's gone and what's preceded this very moment in time is now relegated to the the doors of history even yesterday it's relegated to history it's like wow so right now Chris and Vicky there's a sense in which I'd say God's saying don't don't look back don't look over your shoulder don't compare what was with what could be or what will be let it go let the history of C3 Church and all would go not because it's bad but because your future's not in it your future's in me so Lord I pray that you'd open their eyes and their heart to see you afresh see the bigness of your love for them as a couple and for their family pray Lord for their leadership of this church that would enter a whole new season that is authoritative that is strategic Lord that actually has breakthroughs that have thus far not ever come and as Chris and Vicky put their hand to the handle of the door buildings finance their own home Lord as they push into some of these things in 2015 and beyond that you will open doors I see God opening doors guys that for whatever reason you've thought that's not going to open to us Lord I got to tell you put your hand on the handle and turn it see what happens So I see a picture of you both standing at numerous doors this year. Some of them are literally like real doors of buildings. But some of them are opportunities that God's going to put in front of you and you're going to go, are we supposed to open that and have a look in there? I'm hearing the Holy Spirit say, yes, you are. So explore. Look further afield. Look at things that you've kind of previously gone, I don't think that's our lot in life. Well, who says? If you don't open and have a look in there, I mean, if God doesn't want it to work, he'll shut the door in your face. Or he'll do something. And even if you step into something he didn't want you to step into by mistake, he's a rescuer. He'll get you out of there. So don't be afraid to take the risk. And so, Lord, today, bless these guys. Put courage, strength, authority, a voice, a fresh voice in their hearts today in Jesus' mighty name. Let's, let's uh, appreciate your pastors. Bless you. Woo. And put, keep putting your hands together for Pastor Bruce. Whoa. What an encouraging message. Who feels like they could walk out and do anything? Well, if you do, go and do it. <laughs> 